Hey, Norris Ferry family and friends. Thank you for joining us for worship online again. Now, please forgive me if anything I say today sounds outdated because of the timing of the recording, but I sincerely hope that by now we've developed some healthy rhythms of life that include a sense of Sabbath rest that makes the most of this opportunity to really remember the Lord's faithfulness during this time. Uh, before we begin, again, I want to make some logistical or practical reminders. Um, one thing that we really want to do is to make sure that you have a way of letting us know that you need prayer or if you need help. Uh, and we've created this page that we mentioned last week that's a very important page. Uh, if you'll go to our website, norrisferrychurch.org, and up at the top you can see the COVID-19 tab. If you'll click on that, There'll be all kinds of resources. This will serve as your hub for all the information that we want to give you during this time. But if you'll scroll down past the in-home discipleship this week's sermon, there's a button for request help slash prayer. If you'll click on that and fill out the form, whether it's prayer request or a request for help, as soon as you send that, it'll send an email to every single one of your staff members. And uh, because it's that important, we want to know if you're in need, we're going to figure out how to help you. Uh, and that, that means any kind of need, we'll do our best to figure out how we can help, whether it's a practical need of you need some food, you might need some toilet paper, you might need some groceries, uh, you might need financial help to pay a bill or something. If, if, uh, if, if at all possible, we want to try to be able to help you. And that reminds me that uh, we just want to encourage you to remember that if, if you're not in financial problems or just uh, if you're able to, we want to encourage you to remember to be faithful in your giving uh, during this time. And uh, to do that, the easiest way to do that, if you go back to our main site and you click on give up there, there's a, a way for you to give online and you can just set it up where it'll happen automatically. Uh, or you can mail us a check at Norris Ferry Church at uh, 10509 Norris Ferry Road. That's Shreveport, of course, 71106. So thank you for your faithfulness and giving. And uh, one more comment before we get started. Uh, we want to really help you have community, a sense of community during this time. And of course, with social distancing, the best way to do that is to use uh, some really fantastic technology that has been developed. Uh, my community group met this, this week as of time of this recording uh, on Zoom. Uh, Zoom is, is an app you can download online. It works on any smartphone or any computer, but it's Z-O-O-M. Download that. It's a free app. And it really gives you the ability to all of you just go online and you can, on your, on your screen, you can see everybody who's at the meeting. And we had a great time of community. And so I just want to encourage you to do that, make the most of that resource or, or whatever resource your group decides to you. But we really want to help you stay connected during this time. And I just know that during that time for us, man, all of us just talked about how our spirits were lifted and how we were so encouraged to be able to, to talk about what we're going through, to be able to pray together, look at the scriptures and discuss the sermon together. So we really hope you're having community throughout the week. We are working with the elders and the community group leaders to see that that continues to happen. So again, thanks for joining us. And now Pastor Granger is going to come and he's going to lead us in a time of worship. Hey church family, I want to welcome you to worship this morning. You know, as a church staff, we're praying for each of you. We're praying that we as families are being intentional to redeem this time that the Lord has given us through this uh, crisis that we're facing as a country and as a world. And this morning, as we've gathered together as the church in our homes, we pray uh, that the Lord will 
will just open our eyes to things and to reveal himself to us. So as we begin, I want to continue in this season of Lent, uh, specifically talking about the temptation and the death of Jesus. Uh, and if, if you remember from last week, it's a season where we as the church begin to prepare for the joy and the hope of Easter. And it's this time, uh, this period of time for us as the church, um, right as Epiphany ends up until Holy Week, um, up until the day before Easter that we um, empty ourselves of lesser things so that we might be filled with the greater things of the gospel. So it's this time of prayer and fasting. And so this week's scripture I want to read to prepare us for worship is out of Exodus chapter 14 and it says this, that when Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord and they said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, this is a good word for us today, to fear not, Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. Let's pray together. Father God, we pray that as we come together as the church, Lord, that, that we would rest in you and in the peace of knowing that you are in control, that you are sovereign, that you are the creator of all things, Lord, and that we would trust in you and in your salvation. Lord, as we sing this morning, may we sing from our hearts as we truly worship you with thankful hearts. Scale these walls 
like the Lord our God.
as we come to your word, God, that you would open our eyes and our ears to see and to hear the truth of the scriptures. And that, God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would change us to be more like Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. The famed German philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche declared in his own German language, Gott ist tot. What in the world does that mean? Well, in English, that means God is dead. Nietzsche declared God is dead in response to the Age of Enlightenment. Uh, in the 17th century, we had, through the 19th century, what was called the Age of Enlightenment. And up until that time, Europe had essentially been a Christian people and from the Roman Empire all the way up to the 17th century, the, the sacred revelation or the scriptures was the center. Focus was on God and his sacred revelation. But around the 17th century, the age of enlightenment was coming about and what replaced sacred revelation, what replaced the scripture was scientific reason or science and rationality. In observing what was going on, Nietzsche says and declared in light of the Enlightenment, God is dead. And from our study of 1 Corinthians, we know that this, this was not the first time someone declared this in, in their enlightened state. And in Corinth, Paul was writing a letter to the church that he had started in Corinth. And they too were struggling with the same issue that they had been enlightened by an exp a spiritual experience that they had. And in their so-called enlightenment, they were questioning or calling into question the, the word of God. And in particular, the teaching that they were calling into question was the resurrection from the dead. Because they were, they were caught up in this idea that the body is bad. And so the last thing we want is the body to be resurrected. But in their enlightened experience, they were questioning and calling into question God's word, especially, in particular, the resurrection from the dead. And so Paul, in response to this, as we've seen over the last uh, study of, of 1 Corinthians, Paul says in response that if you say that Jesus, if you say there is no resurrection from the dead, then you're saying Jesus did not resurrect from the dead. And if you're saying that, then you're saying God is dead. And then he has detailed what a terribly depressing state that leads to you know Paul is going to talk to us about this today and he's going to challenge us to think about what are some of the implications of if if the resurrection is not true if God is dead and in particular he's going to challenge us in two areas he's going to <clears throat> challenge us to think about our motivation in life and he's going to challenge us to think about our morals that if God is dead Life is drastically different. What motivates us? What, what is the source of our moral? What's our moral compass if God is dead? So let's ask the Lord to help us this morning as we go into his word. Lord, would you just help us to be encouraged uh, because we know you're not dead. We know that Christ rose from the grave and that God is alive and that you are alive and well. And so Lord, would you encourage us this morning uh, with the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and help us to see how it gives us motivation and it gives us our moral compass 
to live this life that you called us to. Help us to be faithful in these days. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. Okay, let's see what Paul has to say first, how the resurrection affects our motivations. And I get this from verses 29 through 32. Listen to what Paul says. He says, otherwise, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised... If the dead, let's see what he says. If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized on their behalf? Why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die every day. And what do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? Okay, so let's go back and work through these texts and see what Paul is saying about our motivations and how it's impacted by the resurrection. First of all, notice in verse 29, he starts out again with this word, otherwise. And if you think about what he's saying, he was saying previously, Jesus did in fact raise from the grave. God did in fact raise Jesus from the grave as the first fruits, as we saw last week. And he says, but otherwise, in other words, but if he, if he didn't, then what you're doing makes no sense. That there is no motivation to be living the way that you've been living if Jesus, in fact, did not raise from the grave. And so he goes on in this verse to say, otherwise, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? That's what he's talking about. So he's going to talk about the motivations that are changed if Jesus isn't resurrected. And he first talks about our motivations in relation to baptism. And he says, why in the world are people being baptized on behalf of the dead? Now, our first question is, what in the world is he talking about? What does it mean to be baptized on behalf of the dead? Well, one commentary, uh, Gordon Fee, said that he researched it and saw over 40 different explanations of what Paul's talking about here. So obviously, we're not real sure what he's talking about here. But what I do know is how this question is being used in the text. And that's the nice thing. Even though we don't know exactly what they were doing about being baptized on behalf of the dead, we do know how Paul's using this question in the text to make his point. And his point is this, that if otherwise Christ didn't rise from the grave, then what you're doing in baptism makes no sense. You lose your motivation to keep doing that. And so that's what Paul is going to say. But let's just think about it for a minute. What is he talking about when he talks about being baptized on behalf of the dead. Uh, some, there's all kinds of ideas, but let's just go with the, the idea like we understand baptism, because that is a pretty solid, there's some solid evidence that that's what he was referring to, that when we baptize someone, you know what I do, I take them and I put them underwater, and as I put them under, underwater, I say, buried with Christ, and then when I bring them up, I say, raised to walk in the newness of life. And what we're saying is that, as we've talked about before, that when we are in Christ, our old sinful man, our old sin nature, is crucified, is put to death. We're identifying our union with Christ. And so we say that old person is dead, and we are baptized into Christ, and we are buried, and then we are raised to walk as a new creature in Christ. And so... There is, let me just as an aside say that there is, with respect to my Mormon friends, there, I do not believe there is any evidence in the scriptures that would validate the practice that the Mormons do, which is baptizing for people who have died. Uh, and there's some understanding in their understanding that, that that helps their status. That's not, 
supported in scriptures in our, in our understanding. But if we just think about our own baptism, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, Paul would challenge to say, well, then why are we baptizing people? Why would Jesus say at the Great Commission, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Why would we baptize? If you think about it, if Christ is still dead and he didn't raise from the grave, then, then when I baptize you under water and I say, buried with Christ, I'm done. I'm just going to hold you under. Buried with Christ. Sorry, buddy. There's no hope. There's no resurrection from the dead. And so Paul's saying, and if we understand this in bigger terms of our, our church practices, he's saying if Christ is dead, there's no purpose, there's no motivation for baptism, there's no motivation for the Lord's Supper. Why would you do that? Why would you gather online this morning to worship God if, if he's dead? His point is this, if God is dead, then your religious practices they're dead. There's no point. They're in vain. There's no reason for it. There's no motivation to worship a God who is dead. Next, we'll look at the whole group of rhetorical questions that he begins in verse 30 because all of them seem to relate to Paul's motivation for his own life's work, his own apostolic ministry. Look what he says in verse 30. He says, why... Are we in danger every hour? That's a philosophical question. Why? Why would we put our lives in danger all the time? And then in verse 31, he says, I protest, brothers, we'll come back to this in a minute, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ, I die every day. And then verse 32, he says, another question, what do I gain? These are philosophical questions of why would I do this? What would I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus. What value would be there? Why, what's my motivation to lay my life down, to endure hardship and suffering and affliction and pain? What would be my motivation if Christ is dead, if God is dead? Paul went through extraordinary affliction in his ministry. We can see this just in one example in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. Listen to what Paul says about his own ministry. He says, For we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction that we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened, so utterly burdened beyond our strength, that we despaired of life itself. And if we keep going, he says, Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of of death. I wonder how many people are feeling that right now. Just feel like, Lord, why, why such affliction? And there's so many different examples of this. Uh, our, young, our young adults, our young children, our seniors are, are, are going to miss their senior prom. They're going to miss their key club dance, their key club form. They're going to miss their graduation. Our athletes are missing their last year that they've, their whole life, they've been waiting for their senior year. It's such a special time, and yet they're going to miss it. That's, that's, a, that's an affliction. That's something that causes despair in their life. We have brides that have, or ladies who are engaged, who are looking for their day, their, their most 
treasured day that they long as their whole childhood is the day they get married and they're having to cancel their weddings. It's, it's a difficult season for a lot of people. And perhaps none more than other would be those who are in our medical community. We have many in our church who are in the medical community and they're serving on the front lines and they're putting themselves in harm's way in order to care for others. And so I know that there are many reasons for us in this season uh, of what's going on in our culture with this, with this disease, uh, with this virus. Many of us are saying, I, I despair. I, I feel afflicted. I'm tired. I'm weary. And we feel as though we have received the sentence of death. So the question that Paul is saying is, what motivates you during these days? If God is dead, then what motivates you? And the flip side of this, of this what he's saying is God's not dead. And what motivates you is, is God himself, that Christ himself. And Paul tells us that's what motivated him. Look at verse 31. Here's what he says. He says, I protest, brothers, by my pride in you. And at first we go, well, that sounds kind of weird. But then he always caveats that my boasting is in you my boasting which i have in christ jesus our lord this is why i die every day paul is saying my motivation to to go through affliction to go through trials to go through so many things that caused me to despair even my life that would seem like beyond what I could bear, to feel like I had the sentence of death on me, my motivation is that God is working through me in you. And that's what I, I pray that you take home today, that in the midst of all of this, when you're, when you're afraid and you're tempted to despair, when you're riddled with that feeling, I want you to remember this. God is working because God's not dead. God is alive and God is sovereign and God is faithful. And the resurrection is the proof of that, that God is working and that is your motivation to press on and to serve others, to help others. The resurrection frees us and empowers us to give ourselves for the good of others. So I want you to know God is working. Your sacrifice, your loss is not in vain. God is going to use all of this for good. It's not meaningless. There is purpose in it. And you can trust God. And I just encourage you to keep praying and keep looking for ways that you can point people to Jesus. And encourage people to have the same hope to know the resurrection of Jesus gives you hope and can give others hope to know God is working in the midst of all of this. So the resurrection motivates us to give our lives in service to others. But next we see the resurrection impacts our morals. Look at verse 32 through 34. The second part of verse 32, he says, If... If the dead are not raised, well then let's just eat and drink for tomorrow we're going to die. And the next verse he says, no, do not be deceived. Do not buy into that lie. Bad company ruins good morals. And then in verse 34 he says, wake up from your drunken stupor as is right or as is righteousness. And do not go on sinning. 
For some have no knowledge of God, and I say this to your shame. So back at the second part of verse 32, he says, if the dead are not raised, then he says this Epicurean philosophy, which was, well, then let's eat, drink, for tomorrow we may die. The Epicurean philosophers taught that this life is all there is. There is no afterlife, and the natural progression of that is hedonism, or pleasure being the greatest good, self-indulgence being the goal. If this is all there is, then why would I live for anything else? If this is all there is, then I'm going to naturally progress into a self-indulgent, licentious, sinful lifestyle with no morals. If God's dead, the morals are dead. Now, I can't help but think of those that I've seen on the news. I saw the governor of New York uh, chastising in his words, he said, the millennials who are going to the beach and partying in large gatherings are unin- showing an unintelligible decisions and are reckless. And I've seen reports of Bourbon Street in New Orleans French Quarter just filled with people partying. That is a picture of this mentality. Hey, it's spring break. I don't care about the consequences. It's my time to party. And that's what That's what this idea that if Christ has not raised, if God is dead, there is no afterlife, then all morality goes out the window. Nietzsche himself knew this as well. He is on record as writing that the death of God would necessitate the rejection of any universal moral law that is binding upon all individuals. He went on to talk about the idea of what's keeping people from living that way as God is dying, is just this kind of faint shadow of God being still there. But in reality, if God is dead, there's no reason to to live any other way than to self-indulge. All morality goes out the window. But Paul says in verse 33, no, do not be deceived. In fact, he talks about the people who are saying these, these, this bad company, which is the enlightened, who are calling into question the resurrection, he says that ruins good morals. Don't believe the lies. Don't believe the enlightened, supposed enlightened, who question the supernatural and who question eternal life and who question God based on science and reason. He says don't believe it. That leads to a very dark, sinful place of no morals. Nihilism and complete Atheism leads to a terrible dark place where there is no meaning in life. As the writer of Ecclesiastes said, if there is no God at the end that makes sense of all of this, then all of this is meaningless. But that's not the case, Paul says. Do not be duped. Do not be deceived to believe that. In fact, he says in verse 34, it commands, wake up from your drunken stupor as is right, and do not go on sinning. So this is Paul's command. He commands them to wake up. And he commands us, if we have slipped into this place of self-indulgence during this time, if we have slipped into a place of despair, those are natural temptations as we face difficulties. But Paul says, wake up, sober up, Get out of that drunken stupor, 
and don't live like that anymore. And then he moves with harsher words at the verse 34 there. And basically he says, shame on you. He says, for some have no knowledge of God. And I say this to your shame. In other words, Paul is saying that even some in the church are getting in the same place that the world is getting where they deny the existence of God. And he says, shame on you. You're living as if God is dead. You're living for yourself instead of giving yourself to others. You're living a sinful lifestyle. Some of us in, our, in the church community as a whole are living in drunkenness, are living in self-indulgences, and our whole life is all about us and building our kingdom and what our dreams are. And it's times like these that we, have, we are forced to let go of some of these very important things to us, but they become idols. And Paul says, wake up, sober up, shame on you. Don't live as if God was dead. That there is an eternal life. There is an accounting. There is a day where all that you did in this life, all that you sacrificed, all that you lost for the sake of Christ will be meaningful. There will be eternal significance. So if God is dead, our motive to live for others is dead. And our morality is dead. But on the contrary... Since God is alive, we are moved to serve others at great cost to ourselves and to honor God with our morality, with our holiness, with our lives that are faithful to him. So my prayer is that you're encouraged today. I pray that you're encouraged to remain faithful in the midst of a difficult season. We have to be careful to take care that we don't allow others to deceive us. That's the way this is written. Don't allow them to deceive you. Don't let anyone corrupt your thinking. Don't let bad company and bad teaching and bad philosophical worldviews corrupt your way of thinking. During this time, don't fill your mind with just television and movies. Stay in the word of God. Fill your mind with the truths of God's word. If we've slipped into a bad place, he says, stop it, repent, sober up, figuratively and literally if necessary. Remember, this life is not all there is. God is alive. God is working. And God wants your life to have an eternal impact. And he can work that impact through you. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this reminder from Paul that, that we look at all things from an eternal perspective, that, that Christ was resurrected from the grave as the first fruits of our future resurrection in the body that's coming. And that means that you are alive, you are a living God who has defeated death, and that there is an eternity, there is an accounting to be given, there is a day of reward and judgment where all that was spent for the kingdom will glisten to your glory and to our good. So Lord, motivate us to continue to be faithful in these days that we face difficulties. Help us never to fall into this idea that it's all meaningless because you make everything significant. Use us in a powerful way in these days and it's in Christ's name we pray.
Now I want to give you a benediction from 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 and following. It says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. God bless you. Have a great week in the Lord and stay in touch.